that unenviable task of preaching to a room full of toddlers. Let's do it. <laughs> also, it's been 11 years since I preached a sermon holding a handheld mic, so it's going to take me a couple of minutes to figure this one out. Bear with me. My name is Matthew Cruz. I do have four children, so I know all about the diapers and the nursing and the potty training and the toddler stage. My wife is Grace. Our children are 16, 14, 12, and 8. I am one of the pastors of Seven Mile Road up in Boston. It's a huge delight to be with you to celebrate today. Don't miss the grace of God that this exists right now. Let, let your heart and your soul be filled up as well. All right, the gospel is such incredible news that it creates a new form of speech. It's called preaching. It, somebody's got to tell people about this incredible thing that God is doing in history through his son, Jesus. I get the privilege of using that kind of language with you today. It's also the God who speaks to you through a sinful instrument so you've just got to be humble this morning to be willing to receive from a sinner the words of God. Words of scripture are going to be up on the screen as I speak to you. Those are the words that matter. As far as my words line up with those words, you can hang on to that truth this morning. All right, seven years ago, we went all in up in Boston to plant a church for the glory of God and the good of a bunch of people down here in Philadelphia. Thank you for giving yourself to this work. I know what kind of hustle that takes. I know how many costs have been paid to see this begin to, to flourish in this way. And so from Boston, I am speaking a big word of thanks to you. I've been thinking on what do you need me to talk about with you as you celebrate and step into the next seven years of your life together. Do you need me to talk with you about missional strategy? Do you need me to talk with you about wise financial management? Do you need me to talk with you about how in the world you disciple 1,600 children under 10 years old? <laughs> Do you need me to talk with you about leadership development? What, if I was going to come and get 30 minutes to look and speak with you, what do I say? Those are all valid topics. They're probably all points of discussion in the life of your church right now. But none of them is essential, primary, foundational, and central like this. If Seven Mile Road Philly is going to have a bright gospel future, here's the bottom line of what needs to happen, and then everything else can flow from that. The engine to drive your future is this. We need you to remain Humble people who are perpetually floored by the gospel. Amen. We need you to remain humble people who are just floored by the gospel over and over and over and over again. My whole aim this morning is that you would go, wait, we need to be alert to, awakened by, awed at, animated through the grace of God and the gospel and everything else will flow from there. I'll be preaching to you from Luke 7. Ajay read the words. Let's pray. Father, thanks for a few moments to give ourselves to your word. It is your word that thunders and breaks cedars and changes lives. And so we want to hear it 
Would you come and visit us by your spirit? Help us to understand these words. Do something beautiful in this time that we have, I pray. Amen. All right, verse 1. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Okay, Pharisee is a Bible word. I don't know if you're new to Jesus, new to church, if you ever heard that one before. But you need to get familiar with it because the city of Philadelphia, our churches, maybe your home, filled with Pharisees. A Pharisee is what we would call in Boston a wicked good person. Have you heard that adjective before? Just a wicked good person. Well-behaved, highly functional, cleaned up, buttoned down, put together. Meticulous about not breaking the law and keeping the rules. A Pharisee would have committed no big sins in their life. You go into their closet, there are no skeletons in the closet of a Pharisee. Never would have gotten anyone pregnant, never would have tried drugs, never would have been arrested, never ever would have even racked up credit card debt, did not download from iTunes uh, an, an LP that had explicit lyrics. James Taylor was edgy for a Pharisee. They would have been members of good standing in their church as far as the eye could see. You would say that a Pharisee was a good, decent, respectable person, and very important here, not only would you say that about them, but they would say that about themselves. Put together, that's actually fine, but put together and proud about it, put together and proud about it, floored by their own awesomeness. This is a Pharisee. One of their number, a man named Simon, invites Jesus over. You have to feel what this meal was going to be. A totally respectable, sophisticated dinner party. Have you ever been invited to one of those? Everybody would have been wearing khakis. They would have been discussing the latest story on NPR or the latest op-ed piece about Trump in the New York Times. There would have been jazz music on in the background. This was a meal only for bright, moral, accomplished, clean people. The only people on this invitation list was Simon, some of his Pharisee friends, and Jesus. That's it. That's this scene. Okay, next verse. And behold... A woman of the city who was a sinner came. Oh, man. Okay, you need to feel this. Into this respectable dinner party comes an unclean, unsophisticated, uneducated, tatted up, jeans are too skinny, shirt is too low, train wreck of a sinner. Here comes the anti-Pharisee. Woman of the city would mean prostitute. That's what that means. This woman had broken all of the laws of God. Her whole life was an episode of dirty contact with married men. In other words, here comes a wicked bad sinner into the room, and she knows it. Do you feel the juxtaposition? 
Next verse. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she came. At some point in the previous weeks or months, we don't know the backstory, this sinful woman came into contact with Jesus from Nazareth. It might have been personal and face-to-face like the woman at the well, Jesus loving on her, like a good surgeon getting after her sin, calling her out from it. She might have just been an anonymous listener in the crowd like you are right now, but when she heard Jesus talking about the arrival of the kingdom of God where the poor and the broken and the unqualified were swept in and welcomed... She received that good news with faith and with repentance. Maybe she just watched Jesus do his thing with people, and she knew, she knew, whatever he has, I need. Whatever it was, the person, the work, the message of Jesus changed this woman's heart, life, and trajectory. And now she hears that Jesus is back in her city. He's right on Bustleton. He's close. She can get over there. And he's having dinner with somebody. And she scribbles down the address, and she runs to this home, and she kicks in the back door. And sinful woman of the city totally interrupts fancy pants dinner partay. Does everyone feel that? Next verse, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed Jesus' feet and she anointed them with the ointment. This woman is literally floored at the person and the presence of Jesus. Tables in Jesus' day did not have chairs. You didn't sit at chairs around a table. You sat on your hip, you leaned on your elbow, and you kicked your feet away from the table. That's how you sat down to eat together. This woman, floored by Jesus, throws herself on the floor behind Jesus And she begins to love him and to honor him and to worship him. Two things here. Number one, do you feel the scandal in these words? Simon would not have walked on the same side of the street as this woman. You know what I'm like when a Lakers fan comes walking down the street? I'm moving to the other side of the street. That's Simon and this woman. He wouldn't walk within 100 yards of this lady. And now she is in his home at his table. Feel the scandal. And two, do you feel the redemption right here? Please don't miss this. What were the sinful tools of this woman's trade? What were the means of her sinning? What were they? Her eyes, right? Her hair, her lips, her perfumes. What has the grace of Jesus done in this woman's life? 
What has he done? He is redeeming those things. He is purifying those dirty things. He is repurposing those things for holiness and for worship and for glory. Do you feel this? What had she done with her eyes? She had seduced men with a wink to come and be with her. Now she's weeping over Jesus. What had she done with her hair? She had let that hair down that she might attract her suitors. What is she doing now with her hair? She is attending to the feet of Jesus. What had this woman done with her lips? Now she is using them to honor Christ. These perfumes used to fill the fragrance of her room with lust and illicit passion. And now what are these perfumes doing? Filling this room with the scent of affection and adoration. What we are seeing right here is the effects of the grace of Jesus. Next verse. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, and you're supposed to read, and who had not invited this woman, when he saw these things, he said to himself, okay, pause right there, get in the story with me. What should he say to himself right now? What should this Pharisee say to himself right now? How should he respond to this scene? With applause, cheering, with affirmation, with wonder. This dude should be thrilled that he has been so privileged that his home would be a scene of such worship. If anybody even dare go over to this woman to interrupt her, what he should do? The atomic elbow, right? I and Mike Sharp. Do not touch. Nobody touch her. Nobody move. Let her do. Let her do what she is doing. He should have been her biggest fan and her biggest defender. This is right. This is beautiful. This is good. But that's not what you get. Instead, here's what he's thinking. Next verse. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon begins to judge everybody in the room. He starts by judging the woman. He cannot see what all of you can already see, right? This woman was a sinner, but not anymore. There's been a change. He can't see it. And he begins to judge his guest, Jesus. He cannot see what everybody in this room can already see, that Jesus is so awesome because of this scene. That this scene does not call his office as prophet or his character as holy one into question. It displays his office and his character. He can't see it. He had been sitting across from Jesus equal. Now he is looking down at Jesus in judgment. He cannot see what everyone else can see. Next verse, Jesus answers him and says, Simon, 
I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus drops a parable on him. Parable is another Bible word. I don't know if you've heard this one before. Sometimes we think of it like a fortune cookie saying or like Aesop's fables. You hear it, you shrug your shoulders and then you move on with your life. That is not what the parable is. A parable is like you walking down the street talking to your friend and you run into a pole. Bang! That's a parable. It's supposed to stop you in your tracks with a truth bomb to bring you out of the ways of this world into the ways of the kingdom of heaven. Boom. So I need you to feel the boom in this parable. Here it is. It's Jesus' shortest parable. This is what he says. A certain money lender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Feel the juxtaposition in the parable because we're working a juxtaposition in this story. Person A, a wicked lot of debt. Person B, they got some debt, but it ain't so bad. Rocky three, ain't so bad, ain't so bad. Person A is never digging out of that debt hole ever in a hundred lifetimes, never digging out. Person B, with a little bit of discipline, maybe pick up some extra shifts at the airport, they could get right side up again in a reasonable amount of time. Do you feel these two? The first person knows if you don't introduce some grace into this story, it's over for me. It's over. There is no happy ending. That person will be floored if someone comes and pays their debt. Person B would say, hey, if you want to introduce a little grace into this story, that's cool. It would help. But I could have made it on my own if I had to. So thanks a lot, Mr. Moneylender. But let's not over-exaggerate things here. And Jesus asked the question, person A or person B, which one's going to love more? Here comes the ugliest part of the text. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Everybody feel the I suppose in here? This is very, very ugly. Boston is a big academic town, so we, we're wicked smart up there. We love this little, little move right here to make ourselves the third person to an academic discussion. See that? Oh, we can talk about this over here, but it has nothing to do with actually me. We got all these skills for doing that. Well, I suppose is one of them. We also say it like this. Technically, or if I had to say, here's my favorite one. Well, one would venture. You see what you do right there? Third person, this doesn't involve me right here. Well, one would venture to say that the one who owed him more. Simon knows that Jesus 
has got him pinned in the corner, but he's still trying to keep himself at arm's distance from his sin. Does everyone feel that in this verse? But Jesus loves him. He loves you. He loved me too much to to allow that nonsense to go on. And so now Jesus goes in for the kill, the good kind of Holy Spirit kill, where he slays you that he might, might raise you. Next verse. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Please feel the tension. Does Simon want to look at this woman right now? He is so disgusted by her. He is so upset by this scene. The last person in the room that he wants to look at is this woman. But Jesus says, you have to see her. You have to see her. You will die if you do not have eyes to see this woman. Do you see this woman? And then just Jesus brings the hammer three times. Here we go. Number one, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Okay, Philly people, in the middle of the winter time, somebody comes over your house to visit. What is the most basic, simple act of hospitality in welcoming someone into your home for you guys? Maybe you take their boots, put them by the space heater. You take their jacket, you go throw it on the bed. You give them something warm to drink, right? So we got coffee people. We got tea people. We got any hot chocolate people? With the whipped cream on there? Okay. Whatever it is, the most basic act of hospitality is what? Someone is cold. You, you give them something warm to drink. If you've got a fireplace, you let them sit by it. Basic, run-of-the-mill Philadelphia hospitality. What was the most basic act of hospitality in the ancient world? Most basic. You give your guests some water so that they may wash their feet. Filthy streets, long walks. When they arrive at your house for dinner, their feet are dirty. Just basic hospitality. Give them some water. Common decency. But Simon was so unfloored by the person and the presence of Jesus. He doesn't even do that. But the woman washes his feet with her tears. Jesus says, You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Okay, Philly people, what is the most simple act of hospitality physically when someone comes to your house to visit you? What do you do? Maybe you shake their hands. Maybe you give them a high five. The little kids up at Seven Mile in Boston love the fist bump. Then they got all these tricks. Fist bump snail, fist bump explosion, fist bump tickle. I can't even keep up with them. The more excited you are to see someone, the more that your heart is filled with love for them, then what do you do? 
Bear hug, right? Boom, you go in for the hug. Some kind of physical affection. Even to somebody you never met before. Something. What was the most basic, common act of simple hospitality in the ancient world physically? What was it? It was the kiss. Just a kiss. Simon is so unfloored by the person and the presence of Jesus, he doesn't even give him a kiss. Just the most basic. He doesn't even give him a kiss. But what about the woman? It says, she did not cease to kiss my feet. Have you ever had someone so happy to see you that they just won't let go? Like a seven-second hug, nine seconds, 12 seconds. It gets awkward after 15, and you're like, okay. (laughs) This woman would not stop kissing Jesus' feet. And then last one. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Philly people, if you had somebody coming home over to your house for dinner who's really important, who you really adore, do you give them hot pockets (laughs) or a prime rib or whatever that spiciness was that I ate at the Indian restaurant last night? (laughs) Do you give them Hawaiian punch or do you break out the red wine? Do you use the styrofoam plates? Or do you go get grandma's china from the attic? Simon was so unfloored by the person and the presence of Jesus. He sacrificed nothing. He sacrificed nothing. But this woman brings the most prized possession she would have had. A flask of ointment worth a year's wages. Boom, boom, boom. Jesus is going after the heart of Simon, and Simon has no answer. And so Jesus finishes with this. He says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Two things here. That word for up there is not the cause of her forgiveness. It is the evidence of her forgiveness. If I showed up with a big black and blue shiner, you wouldn't say, Ooh, your eye made someone punch you. You would say, Somebody punched you. Same thing here. The expression of her love didn't earn merit with God. It's the evidence that her heart has been changed and she's received the grace of Jesus. And then number two, the point of this story, the point of this parable, the point of my sermon is not if you are a wicked, bad sinner, then you should really be floored by the gospel of the grace of God. But if you've pretty much got it together, this doesn't apply to you. That's not what those words mean. The point is, there is no one in this room, on this planet, 
in the history of our race who has not needed a mountain of forgiveness from God. Not one of us. There is no one in the category of, hey, I only owed 50 denarii, so I just needed a pinch of grace. There is no, I can stand on my two feet before God. I don't really need grace. All of us have broken bad. All of us have piled up a debt that we could never, never, never begin to chip away at. And so the only right response of all of us to the person and the presence, to the cross and the grace of Jesus is to be floored by it, perpetually floored by the gospel. All right, so here's my question on your seventh anniversary. If Seven Mile Road was in this story, here we go. If Seven Mile Road was in this story, who would we be? I know what everybody's immediate answer is. What does everybody who hears this sermon sit there and say to themselves? Well, I would have been the woman. If not the woman, I would have been somebody at the table who was like really excited about this. I never would have been Simon. I need you to think about that question. Really think about it. Here's how you can ask yourself. If you knew that Jesus was going to be up in Willow Grove tonight, if you knew that he was going to be there having dinner, would you even get over there? Would you even change your schedule to make it? Would you be like, bang, the eagles have a bye, I can go. Would you get over there? And if you did get over there, would you sit down across from Jesus like equals so that you could have some theological conversation, share a meal together as respectable, sophisticated people on equal par? Is Jesus some religious figure to you or someone that you study and think about and analyze? Or... Would you run to Willow Grove? I mean, I don't even have time to wait around for Uber. I am running myself to get there. Would you find the address? Would you kick the door in? Would you throw yourself at the feet of Christ and weep over his grace to you? Would they have to like drag you away at some point? Because you have been so floored by the love of God to you in Christ. The only hope for seven more good years in the life of this church is that you personally would continue to be awakened to the wonder of grace. Of the love of God for you in Christ. Philly does not need to come in here and find a bunch of Pharisees who are kind of pretty good, sort of put together, and a little bit of proud of it. Nobody needs that church. 
They need to come in here and see a bunch of people who are floored by the grace of God. And their hearts are flooded with adoration of Jesus. And all the junk that used to be a part of their life is being repurposed for His glory. That is what these cities need. Would you give yourself to humility and to repentance and to unity and to faith? Would you do that by giving yourself to Jesus? If I was to show up in seven years and bring a crew with me, would they walk away saying, whoa, those people are perpetually floored by the grace of God in the gospel? Let me pray for you. Father, the greatest news, the news that will be celebrated forever and ever, world without end, the wildest thing we've ever heard is that sinners like us can be redeemed and repurposed for your glory. I pray that you would strike every bit of put together and proud about it from this room right now, that we would kill that, that we would not be ashamed to weep that we would not be ashamed to show affections for Christ, that the greatest possessions that we've got would be purposed for worship and affection to Jesus. And I do pray, I do pray that this church would be twice as big, but not because they nailed mission or they preached good or the band was great, but because the grace of God in Christ has been received by faith. And this place is just floored that you continue to love us like you do. Would you make that the story of Seven Mile for the next seven years? Do it for the fame of Jesus. Do it for our joy. Do it for the good of Philly, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to me on that.